Welcome into the 11 Dubcast presented by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. I am Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter on the other, other end. Donald Washington, former Buckeye, will join us a little bit later in the program. Ask us anything as well. But before we get into all the fun and uh, frivolous stuff, we've got real news to kind of unpack here. And a lot of it happened in the last 48, 72 hours. So obviously by now, by the time you're reading this, you're aware of the information that Zach Smith has been fired as the receivers coach at Ohio State. I think it's important um, to try to understand the chronology of this. Um, and Johnny, they jump in where I mess up or I, I did this on my sure. show today and I've been talking about it nonstop for like 48 hours. So I go cross-eyed a few times with it. But from what I understand, <laughs> um, this all starts in terms of where we ended up on Monday morning. This all starts... Uh, with a report on Friday of a um, of a restraining order issued uh, against Zach uh, by his ex-wife. And from what uh, you and I were discussing, you 11 Warriors was the first with this report, to your knowledge. Is that correct? Yeah, as far as I know. As far as you know. Okay. I didn't see anywhere else. I was up at the lake, and I started to get text messages about it, and um, and then away it kind of went. Um, so so that story gets out, and that kind of – that is the pebble – it's kind of the pebble because that that report on its own, I think we can all acknowledge, does not is not tantamount to firing. That, no. What's in the details of that report? I mean, that, that's look, divorce is ugly and divorce with children is worse. And on that report alone, that's not amount that doesn't amount to firing. So we get through the weekend. Monday, I'm doing my show in on ninety seven one, and I hear the. Um, and McMur Brett McMurphy, who is now just on his own, from what I can tell, he used to be at ESPN, Sports Illustrated, was a longtime journalist, I believe, out of Florida. I've known him for years. Reputable guy. He has the reporting on the 2009 incident from Florida, where Zach uh, brings a female back to a, a, a home that he shares with, with Courtney at the time and gets physical with her. And he uh, there, there was an arrest there, but there were no charges filed at that point. Um, so that repercolates right so that's nine years ago that comes out and at that point ohio state issues a response saying that we don't comment on personal matters and then that was kind of it but you knew if you'd ever done anything in this business you knew that there were that that wouldn't be it that of course that wouldn't be it and it wasn't and mcmurphy then uh probably about two or three hours later dropped the reporting on the 2015 incident uh where he says zach smith was once again um arrested by police and quotes the police report. And he does so in the 2009 incident. And he does so in the 2015 incident on, on Zach. Within a couple of hours, Zach Smith is fired as the receivers coach at Ohio State. A statement is put out, and Zach Smith is fired as the receivers coach uh, at Ohio State. So that's where you sat going into today. So then the question going into today was very simply, what did Urban know and when did he know it? That's That's right. it. I mean, at that point, everything – else is pretty moot it's really what did urban know and and when and and that was attempted to get out many many times over the course of big 10 media day and um the the line that i kept coming back to when i heard it live on my show and i couldn't really understand and now we have some more clarity on it um was when urban said i got a text late last night referring and i'm quoting him here i got a text late last night there was nothing Talking about 2015, there was nothing. So then when he said that at the first press conference today, I said, well, then why fire him? Because there was <laughs> right. nothing new here. <laughs> if, if there's nothing in 2015, then why do we fire him? Because we hired him in 2009 based on, even though that previous information we had, 
And uh, he was still here on Monday, based on the information we had from Friday that eleven that you guys reported. Um, he was still there. So what changed? And if there was nothing to 2015, well, then what changed? So in the second press availability, a one-hour one with reporters, Doug LaMaurice got four big questions right to Urban. I don't know if you have a chance. Have you had a chance to see this back and forth, Johnny? Yeah, yeah, I've got the transcript. Yeah, okay, I figured you had. Yeah, I've yeah. gone all the way through it. Yep. So Doug has get what's it about four or five questions where Doug basically gets to the bottom of what is known and what what Urban's what Urban's uh, account of this is is that the 2015 stuff he asked somebody to look into and nobody could find it, and then after Urban, but the other one quick thing before the Doug back and forth. After 30 minutes after Urban said there was nothing to 2015, all of a sudden these reports were made public and everybody had access to them. And before that, I was talking to reporter friends who said they couldn't find any of the reports from 2015. <laughs> yeah. So, look, there's a there's a lot of things that can you can try to wander recklessly with your mind on what happened here. And I mean, there's a lot of Colonel Jessup to this, <laughs> frankly. Mm-hmm. Um but but I think it's best. Our best purpose here is to deal with what we know and what um, what Ohio State knows and and where they go from here. Did I miss anything in kind of the unpacking of what has gone on in the last forty eight seventy two hours? No, I think I think that's pretty accurate. I, I think what's most interesting to me is what's happened in the past like day, basically, like literally yeah. the past twenty four hours as of this recording, just because the. Uh, how quickly Zach was let go. Although we were, <laughs> I mean, once, once Brick McMurphy came out with this thing, I mean, it was, I think it was just kind of a, a, a countdown clock that was ticking on that. Uh, and then of course the, uh, you know, how the big 10 media days went. And, and this is, I mean, that's the huge crazy thing about all of this is that this comes out, you know, at the largest off season, like right as the largest off season media event is going on. And Could not have been worse. no, there was no time it could have been worse. No, I, yeah, and and that's the thing, like because they they were going to have to do something about Zach before Urban Meyer spoke this morning about it. Because if he's if he's in limbo, if his you know employment status is still up in the air, and then early shit's going to happen, he, Urban Meyer will get murdered. Like they, I mean, as as contentious as I think you know the the back and forth got a little bit, um, and I you know it wasn't them yelling at each other or anything like that. No, I thought it was it, pretty fair. Yeah, I think everybody. it was. Right. I, I agree with that. But if if there had been any doubt about what was going to happen with Zach Smith at that point in time, I think it would have gotten really bad. Uh, so Ohio State had to make a move quickly, and I think they made the right move. But you're right. There's definitely a lot of things that are left unanswered. And I, you know, I don't know. I, I just don't know where the story goes after this. Like, I, I think Ohio State would love for it to just be done because Zach sure Smith is gone yeah, and then there's no more questions, but I don't think yeah. that's necessarily true. And I think there needs to be some more questioning of this, of, of urban Meyer. Well, here's, here's where it's going to go. So um, of course the backstory of all of this is who Zach Smith is and he's yeah. Earl's grandson. And we all know that. And that's how we got the job. And I, I don't blame him or urban for that because that's life. Uh, people who know people who are born in the lucky DNA club, they get a step up. And Zach got a bunch of advantages based on um, who his grandfather was. Now he recruited. Zach could recruit, there's yep. no doubt. And so he wasn't he wasn't quite in the same vein as Nick Siciliano in that I'm not sure what Nick did, but, <laughs> but Zach could recruit. 
And you can't deny that. Did they develop at the highest level? No, clearly not. And the position group I thought was under the more more pressure than any position group in terms of showing up this year. There was real pressure. Uh, a couple other things on this. Jordan Strack, a reporter out of Toledo, reported, uh, I from my sources accurately, that um, that Urban Meyer encouraged Zach to go get another job this year. Yeah. Between seasons. Um, I, I, in all the reporting, I'm not sure if, if you guys have corroborated that as well. Uh, but through my sources individually, I have that, that it was, let's go get another job, buddy. So yeah, that's been, that's been floating around. That's definitely, yeah, that's, I would, I can't personally corroborate that, but that's definitely something that yeah. I've heard quite a bit of. Yeah. And there was always kind of this running conversation that, um, and here, here, so here's the thing. Let's get into the mind of Urban here, and, and why do you hire Zach? Why, when you know it, to, you know, in 2019, why do you hire him? When you hire him, all those things. Understand this, and I can tell you this from firsthand: that the hiring of Urban Meyer at Ohio State came at a time right after the loss of Earl Bruce's wife, and in a very tough time for Earl. And I used to do the coaches show with Earl every week. I've told these stories before. I did it with him every week for eight years. We did it. And um, I get to know Earl very well. I used to play golf with him every Friday for two or three summers. I played golf with him and John Cooper and Dom and Moose from Channel 10. Every Friday morning, we'd play. First tee time, golf club in Dublin, we'd go play. So I get to know him real well. And I can tell you that the hiring of Urban Meyer at Ohio State was probably Earl Bruce's proudest moment as in, in, in terms of Ohio State. What that meant to him for Urban to be hired here. Because he views Urban almost, he viewed Urban almost as a as a son. Is and and Urban says the same. He reveres Earl, reveres him, and so he was. And and so the fact that Zach was on that staff meant so much to Earl that Zach was on that staff, and and that that is something that look you can be blinded, you you can be blinded, and you can be compromised by loyalty, um, and. And that, that I think happened to a certain extent here. Um, but I, I, I certainly understand why it happened. I understand why Zach got the job initially. I understand how he was allowed to stick around as long as he did because of who his grandpa was. And that's not unique to Ohio State football. That's unique to life. Um, that's the way life works. That if you are have connections, you can get away with a little bit more. And Zach probably did. Um, and I'm not even necessarily talking about the domestic stuff. I'm talking about some of the stuff he's done on social media. Um, you remember the target stuff at Christmas oh, yeah. where he, you know, remember how out of line that was. Um, yeah. I think he threw some shade like the DUI at a Nebraska receivers coach, um, on social media. He also picked, you know, he did the thing with LeVar ball. Like he just, he just steps out of line where other coaches hadn't. And I don't think other coaches would have been tolerated. And he was. And so why was he? Well, because of that. So we, we said, where does this go from here? That's what's happened the last 72 hours. That's the backstory, how we got here. Where do we go from here? Ohio state wants to keep it quiet. They want it done. Clearly they want to talk about football and God, we'd all love to talk about football. Nobody enjoys this. Um, but the key here will be what happens next. will be up to Zach Smith, his attorney and his ex-wife. Because if this goes to court, then it's all going to be known. Whatever's, whatever's out there to be known will be known if it goes to court. And by the tone of Zach's attorney, Monday on Columbus Radio, and I saw a direct tweet to 11 Warriors, I have a, he's fighting. Mm-hmm. He's coming up. Yeah, swinging. no, it wasn't just to us either. I'm sure he went to others. I just saw it go to, yeah. 11, go to 11 Warriors, and I saw him on the thing. I'm sure he went at everybody in the media. Yeah. But the, 
Um, he is being aggressive. Zach Smith right now, folks, he's got nothing to lose. He His career as a football coach is over. It's done. And so he's going to be he, – his, his next occupation will not pay what this one did, and it will not be coaching football, and it will not come with the panache and the prestige and all of that. It will be a different job entirely. And so what Zach Smith knows and how much – how much he, I don't know what he knows. Who knows? But what I'm telling you is the next step will be determined by him and his ex-wife. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And in a lot of it is, I mean, to me, the bigger issue is just, you know, how much does Urban Meyer, you know, have, you know, kind of in this game and, and how much is he complicit in, um, I don't know. Now I want to say covering anything up because I don't think that's where I'm trying to go with this, but more in the sense of just kind of like trying to, to redirect heat away from Zach Smith in the, in the sense of like, okay, well, we're going to try to get you a different job. So, you know, whatever comes up, we don't have to worry about. Um, that's the kind of thing. Cause you know, that bothers me. And, and this is something that Doug brought up and, and we talk about like, you know, the, the respect, the huge big thing where it says you got to respect women and the, and the Woody and all that other stuff. Sure. And when you see that kind of thing, you're like, okay, well you got to back that up with actions. And then, I understand the idea that, you know, Earl Bruce is essentially like your second dad and all this other stuff. But when do we say like, that doesn't matter. When do we say that like, there is a certain standard that's acceptable and it doesn't matter who it is. You have to hold them to that standard. And here's the other thing that I want to say about that real quick. A lot of times when you see a coach, maybe land in hot water for words or actions that they do, you see tons of former players coming out of the woodwork and saying, Hey man, you don't know this guy. Like he's, this is, this right. is not the impression you should get of him. I haven't seen that with Zach Smith. I haven't seen no. tons of players come out and defend this guy. And when Paris Campbell was asked about it at big 10 media days, you know, he gave a great answer, but it was a very like Tressel, you know, Tresselin like kind of Senator type of answer where he was being very diplomatic and he didn't come out with this full throated, you know, support for his, you know, former position coach. So I don't, to me, I think that this is a guy who probably didn't deserve to have the kind of defense that he got in terms of like protection uh, from higher ups for as long as he did. And if it crosses some boundaries, I think people are eventually going to find out about it. I think the most illuminating tone on this from former players was shared today on 97 One The Fan with me and James and Bobby, who followed, who basically said, I'm paraphrasing. I'm not putting words in their mouth, but essentially sure. good riddance. Let's go to Brian Hartline and we'll be better off. Yeah. I mean, that's been the tone from most former players that I've seen. I haven't seen, you saw Annie, Op Annie Apple's tweets. I mean, mm -hmm. there, there wasn't, I haven't seen anybody come to the defense to your point. It's a good point. Uh, and it's well taken. So, um, yeah, I think it will be Brian's gig going forward. I think, I think one thing though is personal relationships can get tricky and you can find this is probably a, you know, urban at, at his age, this is probably a very good lesson for him in terms of when you work with family, I know he's got his you know his son-in-law is on the staff. When mm -hmm. you work with family, you do not view them through the same prism as you view everybody else. I saw it firsthand at Florida state with Bobby Bowden, where he hired his son, Jeff Bowden to be the offensive coordinator, replacing Mark Richt after the 2001 season. And, and Florida State was never the same under Bobby because Jeff wasn't ready for that job and he was clouded by it. 
and it caused him to coach differently and recruit differently. And he spent all of his time defending that, that decision. And this was a good lesson for urban. I mean, this Zach has been on his, I mean, he was the receivers coach at Ohio state at 27. Yeah. <laughs> okay. With, you know, he didn't play, you know, he wasn't Brian Hartline. So it's funny. Like I saw people going, well, can Brian Hartline recruit? I'm sure he'll be fine. I'm yeah, sure he'll I, be just fine. He's <laughs> got a great personality. He's really smart. He's a good dude. Like, is it that yeah, hard to recruit at Ohio State? Like, is that something that's that people are really not like? Not when you played in the league. Like, I mean, Hartline, Hartline had a thousand yard season as a receiver yeah. in the league. Right. Like, no, this is going to be pretty easy for him. I would think right. to recruit, and I think he wants it. I mean, I think one thing Urban does with those guys, and James shared this on our show today. One thing Urban does with those guys is he he really puts feet to the fire and says, "Do you really want this? Do you want to coach?" And he makes him really answer the question, do you want to coach? And he did that to Vrabel, and he'll do it. He's done it to Hartline for the last year or so, and he rides him hard. And Brian's come out the other end. He's still there. So uh, I think they'll be in pretty good shape with that going forward. Um, real quick, a couple of football things from Media Day to unpack a little bit. I thought it was – I think it's really worth – it's something we've been on from Jump Street, but something worth noting anytime it's done. Anytime that Urban Myers asked to talk about Dwayne Haskins, he almost always brings up Tate Martell. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it happens every time. I love the idea. I'm sorry. I just got I, – I love I, – you know, again, I went through the transcripts and I watched the thing and everything. My absolute favorite part about all this, the, the funniest part, I guess, was when um, he was asked about the starter or whatever. Well, if it were today, it'd be Dwayne. But 30 days from now, who knows? Right. Yeah, like, like come on. Nothing's going to change in 30 days right. at all. But There's Tate Martell didn't change. come here to play school. He came here to play. So, of right. course, the carrot has to be dangled over Tate. And right. he's got to be kept happy. And there will be a package for him. And there will be all these things. But it's just amazing to me that every time you hear, you know, something about <laughs> any time he's asked a question about Dwayne, he has to talk about Tate. Um, right. it's, I mean, it's clearly Dwayne's gig at this point. So I, th- I thought that was pretty interesting. I thought Urban's use, he was asked about the red shirt policy. And he pointed to November. Most of the time when you hear coaches talk about this, they talk about, you know, September or the traditional way we've used red shirts is you you worry about it in September. But Urban went the other way and he said in November when you have injuries, maybe that's when it's used. So I thought that was interesting that that he's already f- trying to find a way. And I talked to James about this on the show and he said, look, by the time I'm by the time I get to November, I'm not a freshman. Like when he had to play in the Michigan game as a freshman for Bobby, oh, right. he, he didn't feel like he was ready. He wasn't a freshman anymore, you know. He was a right. true freshman. He didn't feel like it. And and so I think that's interesting how Urban is kind of planning to mobilize that redshirt prospect going forward. And I think Ohio State could benefit greatly from that. Yeah, no, that's really smart, um, especially given, you know, if you look at there are parts of the, the you know, especially the offense where if you lose some dudes, I mean, you've got to, you know, you've got to have guys who can just step up immediately. And they've been really good at that. I mean, you've seen guys, especially in recent years, kind of just slide into spots where in previous years, like, crap if we lose you know an offensive lineman they're screwed like it all comes falling apart but you know they've done really well at like kind of you know moving around like lego blocks and just having guys fit and do their jobs so that's awesome yeah imagine you have like a stud freshman you know playmaker receiver or something and um you take two months to get him ready and then you unleash him on november right i mean yeah. that's incredible to be able to do that so um, I, I was, I thought that was pretty good. The only other thing that I, that was interesting from big 10 media day for me was that was the trouble that the big 10 network is in with Comcast because, 
I mean, yeah. that's fascinating. I mean, that's the business of it. But I mean, that the 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 president of the of the BTN saying that ten of the fourteen uh, states that have Comcast, they they might not have it going forward. That Comcast basically is saying, now we're good. Mm-hmm. And the whole reason they added Maryland and Rutgers was for cable buy, and they've made a lot of money off them in the you know five years that they've had them. But they th- that may be coming to a quick end um, with with that going forward in the way that we consume our entertainment. And I just wonder if it's also kind of maybe the end of uh, big time money and you know rights deals because I, I, you wonder about the viability of that network if they're not if they don't have cable buy no one yeah. watches it I mean there's no ratings they have no ratings so aside from like a press conference that a bunch of us you know college football nerds are watching that don't have real jobs on a on a Tuesday <laughs> outside of that and conference basketball and football men's basketball and football games whenever Kyle Snyder wrestled other than that right. they don't have anything so they, they have no ratings. It's entirely predicated on people watching cable television. Like, and if that doesn't happen, and if people start doing cord cutting and stuff like that, then they're not making money. And what's funny is, isn't it crazy how, like, literally, I don't know, let's see, it's 2018. So in like 2011, 2012, everybody's talking about how there's going to be like four conferences going forward and everybody's going to like expansion is the big thing and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think because TV and media has become so granulated, I almost feel like that makes conference expansion so much more difficult because you can't like these giant conferences aren't going to appeal to the the more mm-hmm. niche markets that are going to start to emerge because no. people just won't watch TV the same way. I actually think that something like the Longhorn Network makes sense going right. forward. Where it's just one generation. team. Where you just pay attention to one. Like Ohio yeah. State could do that. I mean, they could just do Buckeye TV and it would be everything that Ohio State does and you pay a subscription, you get it all. I mean, right. they, and they'd make money. They'd make a lot of money on that. Um, they're one of the schools that could do it. And I think long, I think there's a chance that that's kind of the way that this goes going forward. I think you're right. I think the big giant conferences, State U, 12 State U's, 16 State U's, I don't think that makes much sense going forward. So that was interesting to me. Um, and there's a bunch of other football stuff that, that we can get into. Donald Washington's going to join us coming up next, and we'll get into that with him in terms of the way this thing all breaks down from a from a football perspective. Uh, before we get to Donald, though, we want to be sure to uh, to request you and ask you and hope that you do visit 11 Warriors Dry Goods for shirts, hats, stickers, and more. Go to drygoods.11warriors.com. All right, joining us now on the 11 Dubcast, former Buckeye. Well, once a Buckeye, always a Buckeye. I covered him when he played. Donald Washington joined us. Donald, thank you so much for taking the time, my man. Um, as as you, I'm sure you had, I know that once you're a Buckeye, you're always a Buckeye, so you're paying attention. It's Big Ten Media Day. Uh, Urban Meyer has this issue with the receivers coach right on his platter that he's got to deal with. Did you pay attention to this the last 24, 48 hours at all, and what were your impressions? Uh-oh. I honestly, I didn't pay too much attention to it, man. Obviously, it caught me off guard. Uh, I was very surprised. Um, but, I mean, it's it's a part of it, man, I guess. And he's got his hair. we got to deal with this. Uh, it's unfortunate, the timing of it, honestly. I mean, I like Coach. I thought he's a pretty good guy. But, uh, like I said, I guess it's, it's the issue that's here at hand and has to be dealt with. Yeah, one of the – well, one of the things that I always think about when when something like this pops up is just like, you know, when you're when you're younger and you're just playing like football or whatever, playing whatever. I, I don't know that that's something that you really think about having to talk about and handle. And I always think about the players in that situation, and they're going to be asked about it and they have to respond to it. What is, I mean, what does Ohio State do 
you know, for players to help them prepare for something like that, to talk to them and say, look, you're going to be talked to by the media and they're going to be asking you all these kinds of questions. Like, does Ohio State do anything to help make sure the guys know how to respond to that? Um, I think, I mean, obviously Coach Myers is a great leader, so I think the guys will be prepared. But I think, I mean, those guys are smart to know that, I mean, that's really – that's an issue that's out of their hands. So I don't think guys will be doing too much commenting on that, especially right. getting ready for the season. Um, that's that's an issue that's kind of a little too big for the players to be commenting on. So I don't think guys will be doing too much commenting or speaking about that. Donald, what do you think? As you get back around the program, I know you've re, you're back in, around Columbus now. As, as you see um, the program under under Jim, the way it was when you played Coach Tress, and the and the program that it is now with Urban, what are the what are the things that jump out at you as the big differences between the way that the two went about their business? Um, not to say each was right uh, right or wrong and different or indifferent. I'm a actually I'm a Coach Tressel guy actually, obviously. So, um, but. The big difference I noticed, um, he's a different type of recruiter, um, different type of athletes they're bringing in, um, and they're very competitive. Those guys are very competitive. They play a very competitive physical brand of football. Um, and I think he's kind of upholding – He's up. they're upholding the tradition of an Ohio State football team, but they're actually probably expanding what that means a little bit. I mean – they're getting after it, and I'm a fan, especially when we're winning. So, I mean, I have nothing bad to say about it. <laughs> well, what was what was your recruitment like? Like, I mean, what did it look like? Was it was it high pressure, or was it just kind of you know letting you kind of feel your own way out? How did that work with uh, under trust? Uh, well, when I, I it's not even just under trust. When I was coming out, 2005, I graduated high school. There's a little bit different rules and regulations in terms of how much time I think like there's just there's crazy stuff going on like I with the recruiting process it seems to be more like uh when you're going through the draft process that's what it, that's what the college process seems to be like now um but I wasn't a very highly recruited guy I was a three-star athlete coming out I didn't have everybody knocking at my door so I mean I was a multi-sport athlete so I mean it was kind of Chill, I guess, would be a good word for me to use. Um, it wasn't as chaotic as some as a, a lot of these other people are. I mean, I wasn't on TV drawing from a hat or anything like that. <laughs> so it was just kind of chill for me. If my memory serves, you declared early for the draft, did you not, Donald? Yeah, I did. I had a so I had a graduated. Um, it was my fourth year of school. I had another year of eligibility left, so I, I redshirted. So technically, yes, I left an extra year of eligibility there. You had, yeah, I know. I, I do remember that, and and Heartline was there with you too, right? Like, as he was in this, a similar situation, correct? If I'm remembering right. Yep. Okay, so that's yeah, that's why I remember that as well. Um, we can Brian probably going to end up being the receivers coach at Ohio State by the end of the week. Um, you think that's a job that that he's well positioned to handle? Very, very qualified, very deserving of the job as well. He puts in a lot of work, man. He. He's always been a guy who studied the game, been a student of the game, um, and I'm sure he's taking that same work ethic into helping the the younger guys. I've been over there a couple of days or a couple of times just watching him, and I mean he's a great guy. He's he interacts with them well. He can relate to them well. He's fresh out of flame, so I mean I think he'll do great. The um the the I just think it's interesting about how different 
things are. And I, I think about the Woody that I walked into uh, when you guys played, and I think about the Woody that is now, and I think about the business of, of college football. Were you cognizant of that now? Or th- then, as a player, were you as cognizant as it, as it now? We all know, I mean, the strength coach is making a million bucks. There's a defensive coordinator at Clemson that's going to make $2 million. Um, the, the money's just gotten crazy. Were, did it seem like that when you were in the moment, Donald? Honestly, it didn't, man. I don't know if it was because I was young and just not aware, but it, that's what I was saying about the recruiting, man. Maybe it was yeah. the same. I just didn't notice it, but hmm. <laughs> this thing has ramped up a lot, man. Yeah, it's it's yeah. gotten it's definitely gotten a lot crazier in the past several years. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. I don't think I don't think anybody really thought that it would be a big deal that you would have a guy like signing, you know, all these like cards and stuff and like, you know, secret recordings of Johnny Manziel, all this crazy stuff going on. Um, that's definitely, you know, we were I was at Ohio State around the same time you were. That's not something I would ever really envision or think about either. So that's, that's honestly pretty- I'm glad we I didn't have to deal with all of that either. Yeah, <laughs> I don't blame you. Well, so I wanted to ask you because I'm a I'm my day jobs. I'm a high school teacher. And one of the things that you're really getting involved with that I, I think is really awesome and, and great is is working with kids, especially in, you know, like high schools and, and other kids like that uh, around that age. Um, and I just want to ask you, like, first of all, what you've been doing, how you decided to get involved with it and, and why you decided to, to pick that up. Um, honestly, man, it, it was simple. It's kind of who I am naturally. I feel like I'm a giver. Um, but um, I grew up in, in I grew up in a situation that a lot of kids can relate to. Um, very troubled background, lacked a lot of things, um, a lot of drugs and violence. Um, so with that being said, um, there's a lot of things that that came that come from those environments, um, and it's not stick to just those type of environments. Those are, there's a lot of issues that, and adversities that kids are going through nowadays. Um, and it's even worse, like, for a lot of reasons we just talked about, with the social media or certain businesses. There's just a lot different exposures in a bad way for kids than when I was in high school and even in college. I just remember when I was in college, I created my Facebook profile in college, my freshman year in college. <laughs> my, my, I have a nephew that's in middle school, and he has Instagram. <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying? It's crazy. Right. Um, but what kind of inspired me to get into this is, like I said, my upbringing, my childhood. And my high school coach, he kind of – he was a difference maker for me, honestly. Obviously, or, not, excuse me, honestly. He was a college athlete himself. Um, and he kind of did these type of works for me. He just kind of helped me – create a vision outside of my circumstances. I always wanted to be a professional athlete as early as I can remember, but he kind of, him going to college being an athlete, he kind of helped me see what it would take to get there. He kind of helped me see that that vision was realistic. He took me on college visits. Um, he started exposing me to just a lot of different things outside of the circumstances I was in and outside of anything I could imagine given the circumstances that I was in. Um, so, Get back to my point, man. Like, honestly, I just want to – I feel like everyone deserves a fair shot at life. If I could help everyone get that, I would. Um, but as many as people as, – as many people as I can help, I would love to, man. So that just inspired me to – and I, like I said, I worked a lot with Roy Hall and his foundation, the Driven Foundation. So 
Um, it's it's a lot of kids are looking for some structure. They're looking for some guidance. Um, so I have a lot of time, and the platform, the the stage that football has given me, especially going through Ohio State, um, you have access to a lot of people. You know what I'm saying? You have access to a lot of kids. Um, there's a lot of resources, and I just want to make a difference in a positive way, man. There's people that have made positive differences in my life, um, and I feel like it's my duty, it's my job to kind of pay it forward. Uh, and I can't do anything with it, just just holding it all in. So um, that's kind of what awesome. inspires me for real, man. It, it's my passion. It's kind of what, what gets my blood going. Um, I've worked at and. And the best thing about it is the reaction that you get from kids. Um, it just makes it all worth it even that much more for real. Donald, what is the, what's the name of the foundation and what, you know, give us a kind of a summary of, of what your message is. Uh, obviously you've okay, been on some uh, of the great leaders, you know, in the history of sports. Uh, yes, sir. So um, the name of the foundation is the smooth transition foundation. Um, I got the inspiration behind the name comes from obviously me being a defensive back, um, an agile athlete. Um, but over th- throughout the history of athletics or my coaching, you hear a lot of, de- especially defensive back coaches talking about getting from one place to another as fast as we can or having smooth transitions in and out of the breaks. Um, but let's, conv- uh, let's talk off the field. Let's just talk about life. Um, we all go through those different phases of life whether it be adversity, handling adversity, um, going from adversity to success or success to adversity, going from middle school to high school. Uh, I'm starting a mentoring program with freshmen. So this will be big for them going into a new building, a new environment. Um, that, should, that should be a smooth transition. But to get back to my point, um, it's whether we're going, like I was saying, like myself, I'm go, I, I just came out of a, a very difficult transition when I have been an athlete my entire life. And now that football is different, I'm transitioning into being like a person, like a normal person in society and trying to find something to do with my time other than play football. So that was, that transition wasn't as smooth at first. So to get back to the point, man, my inspiration just comes from um, those different phases of life, those ups and downs of life. we're all we're all on this kind of growing path of a continuum, and there's going different phases are going to come to everybody. Change is an inevitable thing. So if we can just help the youth or younger people or anybody, for that matter, um, just kind of smooth smooth that transition out. Honestly, that's how I came up with the name. Um, no, I. I gotta tell you something. I sorry to interrupt. I think that's perfect though, because I I will tell you like I uh you know I said I'm a high school teacher and I usually teach uh, freshmen and sophomores, and I've always said that the hardest transition for a kid to make is from eighth grade to ninth grade, and mm-hmm. just because they've got added responsibilities, they're in a new environment. It's just it's it's a lot more for them to handle, and if they're already in kind of a difficult background, that can really like mess a kid up. So I think that's I I think that's awesome. Um, I had just one more question for you. What do you think? So people listen to us, you know, we get some listeners and, and we have people who maybe think about wanting to help out kids and whatnot. What's one piece of advice or one thing that people who are listening to this can do to maybe help kids out who are dealing with those types of transitions or, or difficulties in their lives? 
Um, I think for me, the I think it's very important that we be very transparent. Um, kids need just I think kids need to see us being real. Um, I think they need to see us handling our emotions the proper way. I think they need to see us dealing with certain situations, not running around situations. But I think um, what's especially in today's day and age with so much technology and so much social media, it's like it's kind of taking the feelings out of things and everybody's becoming so raw and cold. Like, and I just think kids need to get that connection back to who they are. And I think the more that they can see their, their peers or people they look up to in more of a realistic setting, like, I, and I understand like certain jobs, certain professions, we have to act a certain way, but as much as we can, we just need to be real. We need to be as transparent and as authentic with these kids as we can. And another thing, we need to listen. Like, I think we can learn a lot from younger people. Like, nobody knows everything, and we're all still learning. So, um, yeah, even though I'm I'm trying to mentor kids and I'm trying to advise them, I learn a lot from them as well. Um, just and because there's some of them that are very authentic, authentic and don't even know it. Um, yeah. <laughs> for me, man, I just think we should listen and try to be as real and as transparent with them as we can. Um, it's a different day and age, and I know that they're dealing with a lot more than I dealt with when I was a freshman in high school. Like I said, I didn't I didn't have social media. I didn't have a camera cell phone. I didn't have a smartphone. Right. Um, so there was a lot of things that I didn't have to deal with that kids nowadays have to deal with. So, um I think it's important that we see both sides of it. We try to have a clear understanding of what kids could be going through um, and not try to inflict our past sufferings or our struggles onto them. You know, like I think I see it a lot in sports. You can see, like myself, if I think if I would have had a kid in a very vulnerable time in that tr- tough transition, there's a good chance I could have been trying to force him to live out the dreams that I didn't finish. You know what I'm saying? And I see it a lot where people are trying to inflict a life on someone that maybe doesn't necessarily fit them. So I think right. we give everyone the power to choose who they want to be. That's great. That's, that's, yeah, that's perfect. That's awesome, man. Great message, man. Uh, enjoyed you as a player and wish you all the best going forward with the foundation. And uh, thank you for your time. Man, I appreciate you guys having me, man. Shout me out on Twitter, Instagram, man. Show me some love, man. Oh, absolutely. I appreciate you. (laughs) I don't even have Instagram, but we'll tweet the hell out of it. (laughs) (laughs) See you, buddy. All All right, man. Go Bucks. A reminder, don't forget to follow the 11 Dubcast on Twitter. Rate and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Time for Ask Us Anything, my friend. It's your show. Okay, so you guys can go ahead and ask us anything, uh, dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11dubcast. By the way, before we get into this, I want to just remember, there's one thing I want to say about Big Ten Media Days. I want to give a shout out to our uh, good friend Dan Hope uh, for mm-hmm. having the first question, I believe, for, for Jim Harbaugh and, and just coming completely off the top rope with the, uh, the Stone Cold Stunner or whatever uh, and basically just asking him off the top about uh, Michigan's failure against Ohio State and Michigan State. I thought that was particularly uh, fun to Damn watch. I, I was, was talking about on the, that on the television show. Oh my gosh, it months. was so funny. 
for six months. Um, and I, I didn't know if he'd be the one to ask it, but I'm proud. He's good. And I'm proud of him for doing it. Um, I also saw Harbaugh not in the sweatshirt today for the first, he was in a suit yeah, and a hat. That's no right. Hat. I mean, that's, I've never seen that since he's been the head coach at Michigan. So the times they are, he seemed like a defeated man to me, by the way. <laughs> he did. Yeah. It's he definitely just, didn't seem like a guy who wanted to be there at all. He was definitely no. not like the, the trickster Willy Wonka dude who, you know, you've seen no. show up in the first couple of years. Um, no. All right, so this one, this is uh, from Scott. He kind of wants us to go over some things, but I'm gonna I'm gonna distill his uh, his uh, email to us and just something a little bit smaller here. Here's a question that I think a lot of people who listen to this may appreciate, just because for me, a dude who grew up in the '90s and I like really really started getting Ohio State football during the Trestle years, but not so much the Cooper years. What mm-hmm. is like, and I don't know how much you were paying attention to, like the Cooper years in terms of like wins and losses like individual sure. wins, but do you do you think that the cooper years uh, setting aside like the national championship but on like a year-to-year basis do you think those teams in general were better than the jim trestle teams i think they had more talent yeah i don't think that they were better coached and i love coop I mean, I actually have a person. I have like a relationship with Coop. I have, I don't have right, hardly right. any. I don't. Trestle would say hi to me, but that's it. I mean, that's it, you know. <laughs> I mean, I didn't get to know. Even though I hosted a show, I really didn't get to know Jim that well. But I get to know Coop a lot, and so I say that with full admiration, and respect for Coop, because I think John Cooper put the program on the map nationally in the 1990s from a recruiting standpoint. It became a cool place to go if you weren't from Ohio, and right. that had not happened previously. So that's that's because of Coop. Um, but I think they were the most talented teams. They would be in any conversation as the most talented teams in the history of the program. Like if you want to go 68 to 72 and you want to go Urban Myers teams, you know, 14, 15, 16 or whatever, you know, that's those are the most talented teams in the program. And I would say 95, 6, 7, and 8 Ohio State <laughs> would be there. I mean, that that's the when you I mean they're Hall of Famers on those teams, you know. I mean, it's right. pretty crazy the talent that was there. Yeah, I don't I mean, because you know, I, I mean, feel like that I don't too, want- but well, I don't want to have that recency bias where I'm like, yeah, man, everything that just happened is the best thing that's ever happened. But I feel like there are some really underrated teams. And I always felt bad. And I think this is one of the things that frustrated a lot of Ohio State fans during the Tressley years is that you would see all this incredibly great talent, especially these recruits who came in were like super hyped. Um, you know, you think of that offensive line class with like, you know, Sugarts and all the other dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, who were good, but they just, it, it seemed like the coaching didn't get the most out of it. And so I, I really appreciate yeah. that you felt like the coaching was a little bit better. Cause I almost feel like while that's true, like it never seemed to click the way that Ohio state fans wanted. I just think that's a really interesting dichotomy. Cause I, I agree that the Cooper uh, years had t- more talent. Um, but I don't know if it's that much different. I just think it's because you didn't see the type of offense uh, with Trestle that you did under Cooper. And I think that that changes it a lot for a lot of people. So I don't know. Um, yeah, I think also the end of Trestle, the coaching isn't there. Right. You know, right. I mean, when you when we talked about Siciliano and, I mean, Joe Daniels after with, with the sickness. I mean, the, at one point, D'Antonio is a defensive coordinator. I like Taycock a lot, but I think across the board, like just the attrition on the coaching staff that, you know, Trest didn't replace him as well as he needed to as the, as his tenure went on. 
Yeah, and and he was perfectly content just doing like everything himself. So that yeah. didn't always work out. Uh, this next one's from Tobin. Tobin wants to know. So we've we've talked about uh, you know freshman numbers and whatnot on the Dubcast and, and <laughs> the importance of having a lower one. And so he's looking at them. He's he's checking out what we have on Eleven Warriors, and he's saying, okay, Taron Vincent, uh, you got Mitchell there, a linebacker. You know, six and seven. You got does that. Are those guys going to see some some playing time? Do you think that that's going to be a good indicator, especially talking about like redshirting and all that? Mostly, what it means is is, is that is that they, that the the battle for their recruitment was fierce, mm. and so they were promised numbers as an attempt to secure the signature. It also means that the coaching staff thinks very highly of them going into camp. But as we've seen with Johnny Dixon, who was given number one upon arrival, it doesn't necessarily translate into superstardom. Right. Um, but it means that on a, on arrival, the Ohio State coaches think very highly of them. And it's not just the single digit salty of the other pimp numbers out there. A lot of the teens are that way. Um, some of the some of the low 20s and low 30s have that appeal to them. So, I mean, it's not just the teens, but it's primarily the single digits. Um, and I that's that's at the very least what it means. Yeah, I agree with that. And last one, real quick, this is from Alvin. Uh, he just wants to know: Is it okay for Cavs fans to become Laker fans now? I say no, no, it's not. How about that? It's generational. I think there's, I think there are a bunch of people who are LeBron fans, and yeah. they're not Cavs fans. Right. So if I you're think, a LeBron fan, you can be a yeah. Laker fan. But yeah. if you're a Cavs fan, you got to stay a Cavs. But who fan. is Sorry, a Cavs fan other than people that are like over forty from Northeast Ohio? Right. Like, who would choose to do that before LeBron? Yeah. yeah. You know. What are you yeah. rooting for? Sean Kemp, Trajan Langdon, you know, like it's, unless you remember Mark Price, in which case you're in your forties, right. everybody else. I mean, I don't think, you know, unless you're from Cleveland, I don't know why you'd be a Cavs fan for like, agree. Bo Wagner. I don't know. Well, I don't, I don't know. know why people would be Browns fans either, but that's, they, they apparently still do that. So at least that, at least that there is a history of excellence and at least it's football. Okay, but how you know, no, how old you know I mean? do you have to be though to remember the history of X? Well, but at least it exists. I mean, it doesn't well, even exist yes. with the Cavs. Sure. I mean, the 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 Cleveland Browns are the Toronto Maple Leafs. They're the same thing. Yeah, they're the exact true. same thing. The Cleveland Browns are the Maple Leafs, and people will go to Maple Leafs games forever. It's the birthplace of the uh, it's a birthplace of the sport, and it's an organization that won forever ago, and so they will have support forever going forward. Uh, all right, buddy, we will talk to you next week on the Dubcast, and until then, uh, we'll uh, enjoy your week and hopefully a quieter week than than what we had this week, huh? Yeah, no kidding.